Well, this is an ultrasound machine. It is an amazing piece of technology that uh, produces images like this of a little baby growing in its mother's womb. And you know, for a young married couple that gets pregnant for the first time, well, they can't wait to see those images of their little baby and to hear the heartbeat of that baby in its mother's womb. It really is an amazing thing. Well, in today's epic story, we're going to look at the story of a mother who longed to have a baby. She wanted it more probably than anything else in life, but she simply wasn't for many years able to have a baby. And I think probably like maybe some of you have experienced, you will understand her great desire and the incredible pain that she felt. Now, of course, she didn't have the technology like this that uh, could tell her whether or not she was having a baby, but she would have been happy to have any sign that there was a healthy baby growing inside of her. It's the story of Hannah. And it really is an epic story. It's a story about human pain and desire. It's a story about jealousy. And ultimately, it is a story about great joy. And I think most importantly, it's a story where we can find some lessons that all of us can apply to our lives. So I want to encourage you to take out your Bibles, and we're going to look at the book of 1 Samuel today. Uh, 1 Samuel is in the Old Testament part of your Bible. Uh, it's just after the big books of Joshua and Judges. And if you get to First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, you've gone too far. So I hope you'll find that in your Bible. And let's explore this story and see what lessons we can learn for our lives today. Hey, good morning, guys. Good to see you. I'm glad that you are uh, here this morning. Well, you're uh, finding that in your Bible uh, Peg and I, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, were at a uh, national conference. There were uh, leaders and other folks from uh, churches all across America. And uh, it was a time for me to reconnect with a lot of friends, see people that I knew. Well, I was at a banquet uh, one afternoon, and I saw an old professor of mine, my preaching professor, coming from across the room, Bob Stacy. And uh, as he's uh, walking up, uh, I understand... Um, I uh, was a preaching major, and so starting like the, my sophomore year, probably every semester, I had a class with him. Uh, my senior year, I was in this uh, preaching competition, and I was one of the finalists in that competition. So I, I was somebody that I thought we knew each other really well. So he comes across the room. I'm sitting next to an old classmate, and uh, Mr. Stacy sees him, and he reaches out his hand and says, Hey, Stan, so good to see you, and they carry on this conversation. And as they're about to wrap up their conversation, I reach out my hand and say, Hey, Mr. Stacy, it's great to see you. And he turns his attention to me with that look in his face that said, I have no idea who you are. Which uh, really made my, did a lot for my ego that day. And I uh, really felt good about myself. I thought about writing uh, the university and asking them to send back my alumni dues for this year if they doesn't even know me. Yeah, I, don't you hate that? When people look at you like they don't remember you, don't you hate to be forgotten? Uh, several months ago, uh, Peg... Uh, came in the living room. The boys and I were sitting in there, and uh, she said, uh, hey, I, I found this guy on uh, Facebook. His name's Jay DeMarco. He was a, a student of mine when I taught high school in Ohio. And she said, he's in this group. You guys ever heard of this group? It's something like uh, like Rascal Flats or something. The boys and I about jump off the couch. We're like, you know somebody in Rascal Flats? So uh, she, uh, you know, sent him the thing on Facebook where she wanted to be his friend, and he uh, accepted her as a friend, but didn't write anything back, you know, and didn't make any comments or anything. So we're wondering, does he really remember her, or is it just, you know, who wants to really connect with their high school uh, teacher or their math teacher, you know, but does he really remember her? The boys and I, we were hoping for, you know, concert tickets or CDs or an autograph or something, you know. We got nothing, you know. Now, you know, I forget people too, and I hate when that happens. 
But I hate it even more when it seems like somebody has forgotten me. Have you ever wondered if God forgets us? Have you ever felt like God has forgotten you? Well, I want you to see in today's story, there is a young lady named Hannah. And there may have been some times in her life when she wondered if God had forgotten her. So I want to look at her story. But first, I want you to understand this principle because here's what she discovered. As she makes her way through this journey that we're about to follow her, this epic event in her life, here's what she discovered. She discovered that we are never forgotten by God and that God always remembers me. In fact, I want you to say that phrase with me this morning. God always remembers me. Say it again. God always remembers me. Now you hang on to that phrase. We're coming back to it several times. Right now, let's dig into the story. 1 Samuel chapter 1, the story begins. Now, this first uh, several sentences is filled with a bunch of names. I don't really know how to pronounce them, but I'm going to act like I do. Okay? And the secret is, read fast. Okay? And people always. So the next time you're in a situation where you don't know the names, just go really fast like you know exactly what you're doing. Let me demonstrate for you. There was a, <laughs> there was a certain man from Rathium, a Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkinah, son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuph, an Ephraimite. Got all those? I see you guys are impressed. You're thinking that I actually know how to pronounce them, but I really don't. So, Verse 2. He had two wives. Now, that may shock you, but in their culture, that was perfectly legal. Not that God endorsed it, but in their culture, in their society, it was perfectly legal and acceptable to have more than one wife. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. So every year, the family would make this pilgrimage to Shiloh. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, wait a minute, I thought that the Israelite people worshipped in Jerusalem at the temple. Well, this is before the temple was built. And so they had this tabernacle, this tent-like structure that they had put up in Shiloh, and every year they would make their pilgrimage there to worship God. It was quite an event. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. So when they would go to sacrifice, they would take an animal with them and they would, they would kill the animal as a part of the sacrifice. And part of the animal would be used to actually make the sacrifice to God. A portion of the animal would be given to the priest and his sons in this case, and their means of living. And the rest of that would be given back to the family, and they would actually eat it as a part of the feast that followed. And the Bible says that he would give some to his wife Penina and all of her children, but he gave a double amount to Hannah. Verse 6, Because the Lord had closed up Hannah's womb, Her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Now that rival is the other wife. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkina, would say to her, now guys, he's probably not the greatest model of the things we ought to say to our wives. Here was his response to her. Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Here's the best part. Don't I need more to you than ten sons? 
not the compassionate thing to say, guys. At that moment, really not. He didn't mean more to her than one son, let alone ten. So here is Hannah who desires so deeply to have a child. And if you've ever been in a situation like Hannah and you've felt those emotions and that kind of disappointment, you can understand where Hannah would wonder, has God forgotten me? Has God let me slip through the cracks? Because after all, think about our lives. There, we live in a big, big world, don't we? And there are millions and millions of people and it's easy to wonder sometimes, has God just lost me in the crowd? And maybe that's exactly how Hannah felt here. Have I been lost in the crowd by God? Has He forgotten me? But here's the first lesson that she learns. First insight that we need to hold on to. She comes to realize in this whole event that God always remembers me even when my heart is broken. God always remembers me even when my heart is broken. Now for Hannah, if you've ever been in her experience, experienced that pain of not being able to have a child, you know how difficult it is to rejoice even when a friend or a sister gives birth to a baby and God has still withheld that blessing from you. But can you imagine this morning what it must have been like for her to have a rival wife have children when she couldn't? I mean, can't you just see the picture? They all pile in the minivan to make their pilgrimage to Shiloh. I know they didn't have minivans, but they pile in the minivan to make their trip to pilgrimage to, to Shiloh. And, and Panana gets all of her children in and she's buckling them in and making a big fuss of them, all with a kind of in-your-face attitude towards Hannah. Can't you imagine that she at those moments thought, has God forgotten me? God, don't you see my pain and my disappointment over this? There was a short film that was produced a few years ago. In fact, I think maybe we showed it here one time quite a while ago. And it's a short film about this girl who's sound asleep in her apartment and there's a crashing noise that awakens her late at night and she wakes up and realizes there's a burglar in the house. And so she grabs her cell phone and dials 911, but she's placed on hold for minutes this goes on. And you can see flashes and hear sounds of the burglar who's still in the house and slowly he's taking things and she continues to be on hold and the music is playing. And at one point there is this electronic message that says, what is your emergency if it's this dial one, if it's this dial two? And it goes through this list of like 20 things. And one of them is, you know, if you're being burglared, press 19. And so she punches 19 and still nothing happens. And the movie ends up with the burglar coming back and he actually takes the cell phone out of her hand and disappears. And then she goes over and turns the light on and he has cleaned out her entire apartment while she's been on hold with 911. And I think there are probably some times in all of our lives where we have cried out to God and we feel like He has placed us on hold and then walked away and forgotten us. And maybe that's how Hannah felt. Like God had just put her on hold and then forgotten about her. If you want to flip over in your Bibles to Psalm 121, this psalm is a song that people used to sing the family used to sing as they made their way to their place of worship for one of these holy events in this case, like Hannah was with her family making their way to celebrate the Feast of the Tabernacle. This psalm was often sung by those families who were going to celebrate that very event. And I don't know if Hannah and her husband and the rival wife and her children, if they sang this, 
Or maybe Hannah, in the quietness of the journey there, sang it to herself. But listen to these words, because maybe, just maybe, as they made their way, these words reminded her that she was not forgotten, even though her heart was broken. The psalm says, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. And maybe if Hannah was reciting that psalm as she made her way to silence, maybe in that moment she was reminded, God has never forgotten. God will always remember me even when my heart is broken. There's a verse in the New Testament that reminds us that the promise of God is still the same. It says, give all of your worries and cares to God, for He cares about what happens to you. And as you hear those words, see a picture of yourself. It's a very personal promise. God will always remember me. In fact, would you say that with me again? God will always remember me. Well, Hannah continues to make to experience all of this, and the story continues in verse nine. And here's what happens next. Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now realize this event of going to Shiloh, this whole experience was a worship experience with God. It was all about the whole event, not just the solemn moment of going to the tabernacle and, and giving their sacrifice to God. But the feast that took place afterwards was intended also to be a recognition and a celebration of all that God had done in their lives, of all of God's goodness to them. And so they have gone to the temple. They've had this solemn moment of making their sacrifice. And now they are around the table with family and friends and they are celebrating the goodness of God. And Hannah stands up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if You will only look on Your servant's misery and remember me and not forget Your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. He makes this promise, God, if You will just give me a son, I will commit his life to you. In fact, she goes on to say, I will never cut his hair with a razor, which was the vow of a Nazarite, someone who was committing themselves to the service of God for a lifetime. God, here's what happens then in verse 15. After she's been praying, she's still in the tabernacle, crying out to God. She, she's so emotional that she sometimes is praying to God silently, but her lips continue to move and there's nothing coming out of her mouth. And the, the priest says, are you drunk, woman? Here's a response, verse 15. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. So what, what does Hannah do? in the midst of this incredible disappointment? What does she do when she feels like the, the sorrow and the disappointment is about to overcome her? 
She prayed. She prayed. Because maybe she realizes that God always remembers me while I am praying. It's true for us. God always remembers me while I am praying. And so Hannah, in the midst of her disappointment, prays. Now, maybe you're thinking, so great, Jeff. You're telling me this morning, you've reminded me of this huge disappointment in my life. Maybe something now, maybe something in the past. And Jeff, your great advice to deal with this huge disappointment and all the pain that goes with it is to pray? Yeah. Exactly. That's what I'm telling you. Because that's what Hannah did. Hannah, in the midst of her grief and her pain and her disappointment, prayed. Now, I want you to notice how she prays in verse 10 again. It says, that in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Hannah did not hold anything back when she talked to God. This was not a God is good, God is great, let us thank Him for our food kind of prayer. This was not a now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayer. No, this was Hannah pouring out her heart. This was Hannah saying to God, I am so disappointed. This was Hannah weeping before God, pleading for the, His intervention in His life, in her life. That's the kind of prayer that she was praying. She cried out to God. And it changed everything. Look at what happens. The priest affirms to her that he has heard her prayer. And look at what happens next in verse 18. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away, her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. You see what happened when she prayed? What changed? She cried out to God. Now, you know what? There are several things we can do when we feel disappointment in our lives. One of the things that we tend to do sometimes is to complain. We'll complain to anybody that will listen to us, won't we? After all, misery loves company, so why not complain to everybody around me and see if I can't make them feel miserable for me? Or another thing we do is just the opposite, and that is we don't talk about it at all. When we're disappointed, we just take that disappointment and all of the emotions that we feel because of it, and we just keep stuffing it inside of us and stuffing it and stuffing it and holding it inside. But there's another thing we sometimes do when we feel disappointed, and that is just to get angry. Angry at God, angry at everybody around us, and we take it out on everybody, including kicking the dog. We just get angry. Now, do you notice something that Hannah did not do in this story? Hannah did not, maybe for good reason, did not talk to her husband. We've already seen his level of insight and compassion in their relationship. Maybe that's why. She didn't try to seek revenge on her rival, and she had to be tempted to. I mean, who wouldn't try to strike back? She didn't do that because she realized probably it wouldn't do any good. And maybe she understood ultimately that revenge was God's job. And you notice she doesn't talk to the priest. Maybe she had no relationship. Maybe she didn't really trust him. Do you notice that the people in this story who should have offered Hannah sympathy and comfort offered her none? Maybe they didn't understand her pain. 
Or at least maybe she felt like they didn't really understand her pain. And maybe there have been some times when you have felt misunderstood as well. And maybe there have been times that you have gone to your spouse or a friend or a pastor. And by the way, I'm not suggesting that those are bad places to go. They're good places to go. I'd encourage you to go. there. But maybe there have been times that you went to somebody like that and they offered you just a very pat answer for what was a complex problem. Or maybe, rather than that, they just pointed you to like one verse of Scripture and patted you on the shoulder and sent you on the way. And it left you feeling feeling kind of empty. Maybe even bitter. And certainly, Hannah could have felt some bitterness as she was leaving child. But that's not what happened, is it? In fact, as we read, she comes back to the table and her countenance has changed. I think there was a sense of joy in her life. She was ready, felt like eating again. There was a change in the look of her face. Why? Because I think she had been reminded in that moment that God always remembers me while I am praying. And Hannah had gone to God to pray, not holding anything back. She didn't go pretending that everything was okay. She didn't go thinking that she had to say all the right religious words so that God would hear her. No, she just went and she poured her heart out to God. And He listened. I've heard worship leaders, and maybe even I a long time ago would have said something like this. I've heard them say to people as they gather for worship on a Sunday, you know, there are probably a lot of things that have happened this week and there may have been some big disappointments and maybe you're hurting about something, but you just kind of leave that outside and let's just come in here and focus on God. And you know, when you stop and you think about it, that's just all wrong, isn't it? Because the reality is every disappointment that I feel, every hurt that I've experienced this week, every struggle that I've gone through this week, I ought to bring all of that stuff with me and bring it right to God. And pour it out to Him. And every every week, every Sunday at the end of our services, there are people down here in front to pray for for anyone that has something going on in their life that they want to pour out to God. And I'll just be really honest and say, you know, I look most weeks and I don't understand why people aren't lined up to pour out their hearts to God and to let other people pray over them and for them. Maybe it's because we have this mindset that, well, you know, I shouldn't bring that stuff here. I need to come here and act like everything's okay. No. Do what Hannah did. Come to God and pour it all out to Him. Plead for His intervention in your life. And while you're doing that, ask for His grace to help you while you wait for His answer. Because you know what? Honestly, Sometimes waiting for His answer seems like a long time, doesn't it? In fact, here's what happens next in the story of Hannah. Look at the second part of verse 19. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. You know what? Sometimes it takes time for God to answer. And it says that Hannah's prayer was answered in the course of time. And I don't know how long that took. 
I don't know from reading this story if we're supposed to take that to mean that the first time they attempted to get pregnant again that it was successful or if it took multiple attempts. But I do know this. She had already been waiting for years. You know what she learned through that process? Something that we need to learn too. God always remembers me even when I am waiting. He does. God always remembers me. Would you say that phrase again with me? God always remembers me. Say it again. God always remembers me. Even when I'm waiting. I don't know why God doesn't answer us immediately. I don't know why sometimes God makes us wait. I don't know. But I think there are some possible answers to that. For one, I think sometimes God wants us to wait because He wants us to learn endurance. He wants us to learn that the walking with Him is for the long haul. And He wants to teach us about endurance. In the New Testament, in the book of Timothy, Paul, a leader in the early church, is writing to one of his good friends and a young man that he's been mentoring and coaching. And this young man named Timothy has had some difficult times. He's experienced some disappointments and some struggles in what he's been doing. And so Paul writes to him, and one of the things that he says to Timothy is, you've just you've got to endure. In the midst of this disappointment, in the midst of your struggles, you need to endure. And he gives him three pictures of endurance. And I don't know about you, but I do best with images. I understand those more clearly. And so Paul paints for him a picture of what that looks like. Let me show you these. Now, all this isn't going to be on the screen because I added a little bit this morning. But here's what he says. 2 Timothy 2.3 Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. Rather, they try to please their commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Three images of endurance. He says a soldier is one picture of endurance. You know, now a Roman soldier didn't sign on for just a four-year hitch. It was a 20-year commitment. Roman soldiers were not permitted to get married because over 50% of them would never live until retirement. It was a huge commitment. Maybe you've heard the story of Mount Vesuvius who, when it exploded, the volcanic explosion in A.D. 79. And people in the nearby city of Pompeii were totally caught unaware of it. And many of them, as they were trying to flee the city, actually were caught in the volcanic fire and ash and frozen in place as they were fleeing. Nearly a thousand years later, after that event, archaeologists discovered a Roman soldier who was not fleeing. In fact, he was still standing at his post at attention, his hand on the hilt of his weapon exactly where his captain had placed him. That's a picture of endurance. Then Paul says, it's the hardworking farmer. A hardworking farmer knows that if his family's going to eat, no matter how much he doesn't want to, he's got to get out there and work. My parents in Ohio live right next door to an Amish farmer, and I have seen him when we were there a couple of weeks ago up at sunrise, working physically hard, very hard, all day long, until it was nearly sun, the sunset. Why? Because he understood that if his family's going to eat, he has to work hard. And that's a picture of endurance. Paul says there is the athlete who trains and trains and trains that understands that there's, there's no pain, there will be no gain. And he will train and train and train for years so that he can run that one event in the Olympics. That's a picture of endurance. 
And sometimes I think God says or makes us wait because He wants us to learn endurance. Other times I think God makes us wait because He wants us to get to the point that we are more interested in what God wants than we are in what we want. You see, when we pray oftentimes, our prayers are kind of like a a wish list for Santa Claus. And we're not really concerned about what God desires. We only care about what we want. We are far more concerned that we get what we want than we are worried about what does God want. And I think sometimes God says, I want you to wait. Because I want you to grow to the point in your life where you're more concerned about what I want than what you want. There's an old story about a pastor named uh, Dr. Evan Williams. He was the pastor of Hollywood Presbyterian Church at one time. And he tells this story about his little girl who one day came to him and said, Dad, I'd love to have a pair of ball-bearing roller skates. And he said, Honey, you already have a pair of roller skates. She said, yeah, but all the other kids have these and they're a lot faster and I really want a pair. Dad, please, can't I have a pair? And she begged for a while and he said no. And he said, honey, we just don't have the money for that. So she went off and when he came back for dinner that night, he found at his where he sits at the table a note that she had written that said, dear dad, I really, really, really want a pair of ball-bearing roller skates. Please get them for me. I want them so badly. He said when he went up to bed that night, there was a similar note on his pillow and other places spread throughout the house. He found these notes. And so he did what a lot of us dads would do. He figured out a way to begin to save up some money. And he bought his daughter a pair of ball-bearing roller skates. And one afternoon, he gave them to her and she excitedly sat down and put them on and she took off down the sidewalk. And it was the last time he would see her alive. Because as she went around the corner... The skates were too much for her. They went faster than she expected. She fell, hit her head, was unconscious, and was dead by the time they got her to the hospital. After months and months and months of dealing with this, he said he began to learn some lessons from it. One lesson he began to understand is that sometimes we ask God for skates that we're not ready for. And sometimes God says, no, ball-bearing skates aren't the best thing for you. And He makes us wait. Or sometimes he just says, no. He said there were many times that he would be praying for things and he realized probably from the prompting of the Holy Spirit, you know what, you're asking for ball-bearing skates. And God knows that's not what's best for you. Sometimes I think the third reason that God makes us wait is because the answer is no. Now, you think God tells us no sometimes just so he can be mean and deprive us of things that we really want? No, that's not the reason. Think of all the people in the Bible that God told no. There was Moses, for example. Moses had led the people in the wilderness for 40 years and it was just about time to enter the promised land and he pled with God to be able to go into the promised land and God said no. There was Elijah who pled with God one day that he was tired, that ministry and serving people and serving God was really wearing him out. God, please just take my life. And the answer was no. There was David who pled with God to allow his firstborn son, the firstborn son of Bathsheba, to live. God said no. There was Paul who the Bible describes as having this thorn in his flesh, this thing that just nagged him in his life all the time, and he prayed three times, God, take it away. And the answer was no. And there was Jesus on the night before He would die on the cross, praying in the garden. And He said, God, would You please take away this cup of suffering? In other words, God, would You please make it so I don't have to suffer death on the cross? And God's answer was no. 
See, sometimes the answer no is the answer that coincides best with God's plan. And although we may not understand it at the time, the answer of no is sometimes the most loving answer God could give us. Far more loving than if He were to say yes. Well, in Hannah's case, ultimately God gives her the privilege of having this child. She commits his life to God. And we'll find in this next chapter, in chapter 2, that Hannah writes this wonderful prayer. She says this wonderful prayer to God, expressing the incredible joy that she feels at the birth of this child. But you know what you come to discover in this prayer? The supreme source of her joy was not in the child. The supreme source of her joy was the God who answered her prayer. And sometimes we get that confused, don't we? Listen to what Hannah prays in chapter 2. She says, Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted up. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. And then she prays this, There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. You see, Hannah, I think, finally gets it. Hannah comes to understand that she has never been forgotten. That God has always remembered her. Even when her heart was broken, that God remembered her while she was praying, and even while she was waiting for His answer, God always remembered her. I want you to imagine, in each of our lives, how would our lives be different? If beginning from this moment on, we lived every day, every moment, with the clear understanding that there has never been a single second in our life and there never will be a single second in our life that God forgets us. What if we lived every day with the clear understanding that God always remembers me? How would it change your life? How would it change what you do at work? How would it change what you do at school? How would it change how you interact with your family and with your friends if you live with the understanding that God always remembers me? Would you say those words again with me? God always remembers me. Say it again like you mean it. God always remembers me. God, thank you that there's never been a second that you have forgotten a single one of us. And God, I pray today that you would remind us of that. God, you'd burn it in deep into our hearts. And God, you help us to live every day with the clear realization that you always remember us. We've never gotten lost in the crowd, God. We'll never walk back up to you and stick out our hand if we could and have you give us that look that says, I don't know who you are. God always remembers me. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.